It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, conversations with host Serena Catania. This is Serena Catania with OWC Radio. I have been talking with Mike. <laughs> it's always the intro that's the hardest thing to do on any of these kind of things. Once you get past that, it's no problem. God, I need food and coffee. (laughs) Matt Bach at Puget Systems is their senior labs technician. And he has written lately this amazing series of technology articles that caught my eye. And I think I want to get real geeky with him for a minute. So sit back, relax, and listen in as we kind of do a deep dive into what you need to do and what you need to look for when building the best computer for the type of work that you do. So uh, before we really get into that, Matt, can you tell our listeners, what is Puget Systems? Where are you? What do you do? And who do you do it for? Yeah, so Puget Systems is a workstation manufacturer. So we build computers. And we've been around for oh, close to about 20 years. We're just south of Seattle. So we're in a big you know, tech hub near Amazon and Microsoft and all of those kind of guys. And yeah, we really focus on high-performance workstations, but at the same time, workstations that just work. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of companies out there that they really push the envelope, like really, really push the envelope and get into like overclocking and crazy parts that they put into their computers. And we take things a little bit step back. We're a lot more about reliability, stability, and just getting the exact right components for what you're doing. I mean, like you mentioned, like we do all these hardware articles. And that's not just for fun. It's because that's what we actually need to do ourselves in order to figure out like, oh, what processor should we sell for Premiere Pro user or mm-hmm. for a DaVinci Resolve user or mm-hmm. After Effects? Mm-hmm. Because they all act just a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been at the company? Uh, I've actually been here for going on 17 years, I believe. Uh, my brother is actually the, the company president. So he started it in our parents' garage uh, and then I got involved pretty early while I was still in high school. So, yeah, I've been through quite a few different, you know, architecture changes and processor launches and software updates. And it's been really fun to see how things have changed. I love this. You know, uh, you were in our booth at NAB this past April, and it was fun to watch you guys working. And, you know, Larry O'Connor, who owns OWC, started out when he was 15, I believe it was, in his garage. So, these garage stories are kind of fun. There's some brilliant people sitting in garages. <laughs> I, I actually was thinking about you guys this morning because I'm in the middle of a move and I'm building a studio in the garage. Um, and that, yeah, so we're going to have a lot in common within the next month. <laughs> so let's talk for a minute um, about some of these articles that you've written, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I see a couple here. What is the best CPU for video editing and what is the best CPU for photography? How are they different and why are they different? Yeah, so actually, these are a little bit unusual of articles for us. Usually, we don't have it quite so broad, even as this, as video editing and photography. And we then we have other ones coming soon for like more like 3D work mm-hmm. or game dev. Um, mm-hmm. Normally, we actually dial it all the way down to the specific application. So it's like, how does this processor perform in Premiere or After Effects Mm -hmm. or Resolve? Mm -hmm. And it's because each one of these applications are just a little bit different. Um, You know, how Premiere Pro is going to use your system is just a little bit different than After Effects. And Hmm. I mean, they're both made by Adobe. They both 
do similar things, but you know, if you were just to take a normal video clip, same clip, and pop it into one of those applications versus another, it's still going to use your computer differently. So the right parts really comes down to not just like what you do. So like, are you a video editor? It comes down to what applications are you using? And then you can even dive in even deeper and get down into like what codecs are you using? Because again, how it uses the computer is different, even depending on your codec. Hmm. That is, I've never thought about that, to be honest with you. I go to the store and I buy a computer and then I add stuff to it and I increase the memory, but uh, I sort of trust, uh, I'm primarily Mac-based. So you guys are PC-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and I think we we have a very similar philosophy, I think, to Apple. I mean, Apple is all about, it's computers that just work. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we try to follow as well. It's, you know, obviously we're on the Windows side, so it's and there's more choice on the Windows side. I mean, if you're buying a MacBook or you know the new Mac Pro from Apple, you don't have as many options on CPU. So usually it's going to be you spend more money, you're going to get better performance. Uh, but as soon as you move over to PC, now it's no longer you've got you know a handful of CPUs to choose from. Now you've got hundreds, and it's across both Intel and AMD. But you know they both make bunches and bunches of CPUs. So how do you figure out which one is actually going to be right for you. And so that's why we have to do all this testing to really just figure it out because so many of these products, like even if there are already reviews out there from, um, I mean, there's great review sites like Tom's Hardware and Nantech and a whole bunch of others, but they oftentimes are going to focus on like gaming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if After Effects and Premiere Pro use the processor differently, just think of how much different something like gaming is going to be compared to Premiere. That's really interesting because when I was using PCs back in the day, uh, the only only, uh, name of the game for CPUs was Intel, right? Mm -hmm. And the... Uh, the benchmark we used to use was if it was good for gaming, it's probably good for what you're going to use it for because gamers always had the best of everything. So I think that what has happened, tell me if I'm wrong, is that video editing has gotten much more specific. And like you're saying, you need to really think about the applications. So let's talk about Premiere Pro for a minute because I have heard a lot of people having trouble with it stuttering or, uh, you know, disconnecting on them. Mm-hmm. What causes that, and and is that perhaps they're using the wrong CPU? What what would cause that? So usually, things like stability when you when you have problems, mm-hmm. uh, it's usually either one of two things. It's just you know, hey, and sometimes the latest versions of the software doesn't have all the bugs worked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we usually advise people don't ever move to a major update. Wait until the first at least minor update after that. Right. One. Uh, so sometimes it's just that, and it's just uh, that's just what it is. Uh, sometimes, it, especially on the PC side, it can be um, hardware issues. Um, a lot of the people that we work with are uh, at least new customers to us. They have existing computers from other brands, or maybe they were they built them themselves. And it's often just little things that they don't get exactly right uh, that can cause more instability than people expect. Uh, and it's not usually like the CPU. It's usually things like the power supply or the speed of the memory they are using is too fast for the CPU that they ended up deciding to put into their computer. So it's not usually the major things that you know determine whether the system is going to be stable or if Premiere is going to crash more often. It's those little, little details. And those are really hard to figure out mm-hmm. you know, as someone who's like a DIYer or who is going and buying a 
computer from, you know, I, I don't even know, like a mom and pop store down mm-hmm. the street because they want to support local business. But you never know whether they have gotten all those little details right. Hmm. And as, like you said before, like that's one of the things with Apple that's so great is you know that it's going to be consistent quality. The hard mm-hmm. thing with PC side is you need to find those companies that are, are going to put an emphasis on things like reliability and stability rather than trying to get an extra 1% or 2% performance. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're going to be playing back a sequence in Premiere Pro and you're getting 48 FPS versus 47.5, are you going to notice? No, but you're going to notice if Premiere crashes. Yeah, you are. You talk about in this one article about the AMD Ryzen 9 3950X. Mm -hmm. I love when there's all those numbers after the names. Um, Panasonic does that with their cameras, and I can never remember what camera's what because there's so many numbers after the camera. But, okay, talk about the AMD Ryzen. How is that different from the previous versions of the AMD CPUs? Well, we can get super nerdy here, depending on how long you want to talk. No, do. Uh, I'm really curious. And you know what? While I have you on, I am totally going to take advantage of your brain. So, (laughs) okay. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So right now is super duper interesting, actually, because for years and years and years, Intel has been dominant uh, when it comes to pretty much everything on the Mm -hmm. CPU side, whether Mm -hmm. you were gaming or a video editor, photographer, it was pretty much just Intel. Uh, And then a couple of years back, AMD started to make some really good improvements to their products. And I would say even a couple of months ago, it was oftentimes AMD and Intel were kind of on par, which then usually on like a workstation, you would still go with Intel because like the platform is more established. Uh, There's, you know, other little things that they have, like they have Thunderbolt uh, can be officially certified on Intel platforms, but not on AMD. So Mm. there was just these little things that pushed you towards Intel so AMD still, like there's a lot of enthusiasts and DIYers who went AMD, but mostly on the workstation side, you went Intel. Hmm. Um, and, but now with these last uh, processors from AMD, they, they have two different lines. They have their uh, Ryzen line and then their Threadripper line. The Ryzen line is more consumer-based, and then the Threadripper line is more geared towards like high-performance computing, uh, just really beefy kind of workstations. And they made some really, really, really nice improvements in this last generation. And some of these products just launched very recently. And so we're starting to see now, like if you go through what is the best CPU for video editing and photography, you'll see that it's almost always that there's at least 50% AMD and then about 50% Intel. So it's it's very interesting right now because there is choice. It's no longer buy this one thing and you're good. Now it's, well, you can buy that one and there's, you know, there's pros of A, B, and C, or you can buy A and D and then there's pros of, you know, C, D, and E. And that's great for most people. I mean, the fact that there's competition is always good because they're now they're going to be competing on price. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be competing on getting the latest technology out. But it does, again, the hard thing with PC is choice already. And now we've effectively doubled the number of CPUs that could be good for you. So it's, it's exciting because it's helping everything, but it's also a little, I, I don't want to say frustrating for, for us because it's not, it's exciting, but it's, it makes it a little bit difficult for us of, okay, what is the right processor for you? Because now we can't just say, okay, you want to have Intel and then, okay, more expensive is going to give you more performance. And we just have to de- figure out whether that increase in price is worth the increase in performance for them. Now it's, uh, we got to go either way. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like uh 
the specs are kind of like dominoes. You pick one thing and then that's going to affect things like the cooler and the motherboard and what kind of RAM you put in, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And there's a certain point where uh, also things like your video card. I mean, video cards are being used more and more for to actually do some of the heavy lifting in a lot of these applications. Um, like in Premiere Pro, uh, they list all of the GPU accelerated effects is what they called. Uh, with uh, It's got a little icon in the FX panel. It's like a little play with three lines or something. It's kind of hard to explain over talking. Uh, but so each one of those effects will use the video card. And it's things like Lumetri Color. It's now offloaded onto the video card. And a, a lot of blurs are being uh, done on the video card now. And that takes load off of the CPU. And so it's a balance act even now. So you, there's a certain point where you can get a more powerful video card, but it's not going to do anything for you because the CPU is your bottleneck. So now it's not only pour all your budget into the CPU, now it's pour most of your budget into the CPU, but you have to really make sure that also the video card is up to snuff for what you're doing. Well, this is like walking into a restaurant. That, you know, you ever been to a restaurant like... What restaurant is it where you walk in and they've got this 10-page menu? <laughs> you, mm -hmm. you know, and by the time you start ordering your lunch, you're confused. There's a lot of moving pieces to all of this. I like that you guys do a lot of benchmark testing and you put the results up. So uh, those of you who are listening, if you're near a computer, go to PugetSystems.com. But if we go to the homepage, the landing page for Puget, you'll see some of these, uh, the benchmark testing in there, right? On each of these articles or a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there's a filter down the left side. So you can, if you just want to see the articles that deal with right. Premiere Pro, you mm -hmm. can see those. Um, we, we also do a lot of our benchmarks. We actually allow people to download. So at the moment, as when we're recording this, uh, actually Puget Bench for Photoshop is the top article. And that is actually linking to our benchmark for Photoshop. So you can download it and run it on your own system. And then you can compare the results on your system to what we put into our articles. And we're trying to do that because, I mean, us having our own information is great and we publish it and it's great. But, you know, seeing how, you know, these latest 10 or 20 CPUs from Intel and AMD compare to each other, doesn't really tell you how much faster it's going to be compared to your existing computer. Right. And there's really no way for us to do that effectively, except by putting our benchmark out there. And now you can run it on your computer. Mm -hmm. And we're trying really, really hard to make these accessible to people and to make them cross-platform. So some of them are Windows only at the moment, but a lot of them work on Mac. Uh, our Photoshop mm -hmm. benchmark, uh, Premiere, After Effects, uh, those three all work on Mac now. And we're trying to get more and more of them to be to work on Mac as well because I mean computers whether it's a Mac or a PC it's all just a tool to you know let you do what you want to actually do right. and it's finding the right tool for the job and performance isn't the only thing that goes into that decision but it's definitely a big part so knowing how different computers will perform whether it's Mac or PC or what really helps you make those educated decisions you know because I mean a lot of these computers are very very expensive and if you're going to be dropping five or ten thousand dollars on a computer you want to know what you're getting. Absolutely. I like that you have the benchmarks available for Photoshop, Lightroom Classic, Premiere Pro, After Effects, um, and DaVinci Resolve, among others. Because, you know, mm -hmm. we bounce between all of those programs when we're working creatively. So it's, it's kind of nice yeah, exactly. to see if you plug those in and you run them. I'm assuming that if you do, I mean, I would go in here and I would do Photoshop. And I do use Premiere Pro. Occasionally, I'm just not as conversant in it, but I would do Photoshop, Premiere Pro, 
After Effects and DaVinci and run each of those just for fun and kind of see what the numbers are telling me about what's under the hood. This is really cool. You know, Mm -hmm. the holidays are coming up, so people are going to want to be buying new equipment. Um, And that's another reason why I wanted to talk to you guys, because you really are the experts. Plus, for me, it's fun to talk to people that work on the PC side, because I'm not as current in that. So talk to me about how 4K, 6K, 8K, and I know everybody talks about this on a creative level, and we talk about it in terms of how much memory you need and how much processing speed you need and how much storage, oh, that awful word storage you Mm -hmm. need. On your side of things, when you're putting these systems together for people, what kind of things are you looking for? Uh, so say if I told you, okay, I'm, I'm making a film for Netflix and it's, and we're shooting it in, in 8K. What other questions mm-hmm. would you ask me in order to build a system for me that would really work great? So actually, the first thing usually that our consultants w- would ask, because, I mean, we have configuration things on our site that you can go in and configure things yourself. But almost always, we actually want to talk to people because of exactly what you're, you're asking here. Like, what other things would we ask? Mm-hmm. And the first thing I would actually ask is, well, what kind of camera are you shooting? Um, because a lot of 8K people are using red cameras and mm-hmm. red cameras, they actually really heavily use the video card because they're, they're shooting red raw and the debayering process, turning mm-hmm. the raw sensor data into usable video is all done on the video card. Um, and they're moving even more stuff to the video card soon too. So someone who's using red, we would probably actually turn down the CPU a little bit uh, to stay within their budget and then give them a beefier video card. Normally a really high-end video card you know, something like, uh, you know, an NVIDIA like 2080 Ti, which is somewhere around $1,000. Usually that's not actually going to be that much faster in Premiere or After Effects than a video card that's half the price. Hmm. Except when you're using something like RED because of all that debayering being done on the video card. So it's, you really want to make sure you've got a beefy uh, GPU for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that would be one of the first things we ask is just like, what codec are you using? I mean, just knowing 8K isn't quite enough. Right. Um, So once we figure that out, then it really does come down to yeah a lot of the details, uh, and actually where I like to start is not even on kind of the fun things like a you know what CPU you should buy. Almost always it's actually starting with what I kind of call the foundation thing. So it's how much storage do you need and how fast the storage to have to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like 8K, it's going to be you should really have an, an SSD, a solid state drive, mm-hmm. for to, you to store all your media on, uh, and then after that, well it's figuring out how much, and that's different for everybody i mean do you need a day's worth of footage stored are you only recording um you know things in you know, hour chunks or is it going to be days and days and days with multiple cameras in which case you should probably look into like a network attached storage mm-hmm. but once you figure that out uh there's some simpler things that we can we can do like you, you said 8k and then we can uh figure out how much ram you need and mm-hmm. for us with ram it's usually uh, so ram is system memory it's a temporary storage Mm-hmm. And we usually say for 8K, we'd want to use 128 gigs of RAM, and then you can have that for 4K um, to 64 gigs. And if you're only doing HD, you can go all the way down to 32 gigs. But 8K definitely needs a lot of RAM. Um, and with storage and RAM figured out, that's kind of, again, that those foundational things. You need to have that, or it doesn't matter how powerful your CPU is going to be. Uh, but then after that, then you can get kind of the funner things. Uh, GPU is usually fairly straightforward. If you're using RED, you go with a fairly high-end GPU. If you're not, well, then you just need to have a video card that has enough video memory, so memory that's built into the video card, to handle the footage that you're, you're, you're using. 
Uh, and then, yeah, the CPU is where it gets, uh, you can really dial in, like, because there's a lot of granularity in CPUs these days, like $150 price jumps between models. And like we said before, between Intel and AMD. Uh, but usually for something like 8K, we would make one of two recommendations. It would either be the Intel X series uh, from Intel or the AMD Threadripper. Uh, and what's interesting is actually because AMD just launched these Threadripper CPUs recently and they are absolutely amazing, like insanely amazing versus the previous generation, mm-hmm. Intel actually cut the price of their X series CPUs in half. So that is changed up a lot of uh, what we recommend. It, it's no longer that Intel is the more expensive but more powerful option. Now it's they are the little bit less expensive and almost as powerful option. Uh, so it's almost been flipped on its head recently. <laughs> yeah, it's called competition, right? Yeah, which is great. It's, it's good for everyone, competition. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that Intel could cut their price in half is you know, just tells us, you know, a lot of what we need to know about, you know, how much margin they have built into those products before and how much they feel they have to make those price uh, cuts in order to stay competitive. Hmm. Now, you talked about the RED camera. What about if you're shooting 8K on the Sony? Uh, so I believe Sony's, they shoot in H265 or HEVC. And um, and that's true for most other cameras, I believe, too. I, there's a handful of 8K ones out there, and I think they all do HEVC is how they record. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, that's really, really, really tough. I mean, H, H.264 or H.265 is not an editing codec. Uh, it's going to be really bad on anything. Uh, we actually, as part of our Premiere Pro benchmark, we have a 8K H.265 test. And nothing we can throw at it is going to have it be at all reasonable. So for those kind of cameras, something with either a proxy workflow or a transcoding workflow Mm -hmm. is just what you have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at that point, what you're looking for is the type of system that's going to be able to transcode that as fast as possible. So you can either get, you know, those transcoded files or proxies built as quickly as possible because like that's not an optimal workflow. I mean, ideally, you just want to drop your footage in and go, but it's necessary in those cases. Kind of a you know, hearkening back to the days where you you know that was the way you did everything. I think I think Avid still even recommends that they recommend transcoding most things to DNA. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I do hear editors talking still using the terms offline and online, and I think the the uh, 2020 equivalent is proxies <laughs> and full res. But um, yeah, that it, that's interesting. So. Um, I haven't really, you know, when I pick a camera, I pick it for the look and I pick it for the reliability and, um, you know, from the DP standpoint, I'm not really thinking about things like the computer systems that my editors are going to be using. Um, I just assume that whatever computer they have is going to be perfect for what I, what I need. So this is really interesting to me. Um, so I love the benchmark, uh, what about what about compatibility? What what do people need if the, if they come to you, right, and they're running Premiere Pro and they want to do some Photoshop work and they're kind of like a generalist? Is there something that is sort of an, almost an entry level version of all of this? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it comes down to budget. I mean, mm-hmm. the the cool thing is now with these latest CPUs. Um, I guess I should take a step back. About a year ago or two years ago. Uh, there were times where if you bought this CPU 
specifically from AMD typically, it's really good at some things, but it's really bad at other things. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is right now with these latest models, you no longer really have that. You have CPUs that are really good at some things and pretty good at other things. So you no longer really are really giving up uh, a whole bunch. Uh, And so the nice thing is that now, yeah, you, you can't make a super terrible decision uh, on a lot of things. So a lot of it will come down to budget and how much you have to spend. Um, you did mention entry, though. I would say for a lot of entry-level systems, uh, the AMD Ryzen stuff is really, really terrific mm-hmm. for a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not always the exact right choice. Uh, one of the main reasons we actually still stick with Intel when AMD and Intel are close is that Intel, uh, the motherboards, have certified Thunderbolt support. And we do a lot of work with people who have mixed Mac and PC workflows. So they've got some systems on Mac, some systems on PC. And when you're dealing with Mac, Thunderbolt is huge. I mean, so many people have just tons of external drives that are on Thunderbolt or tons of other devices. And being able to stay uh, and be able to use those devices still on PC is is a major uh, benefit. So there is definitely a reason to go with what's called the Intel 9th Gen, Intel Core 9th Gen mm-hmm. CPUs. Uh, but for a lot of people that are don't have that Thunderbolt need, these Ryzen CPUs from AMD are uh, just really, really solid options. Well, I think a lot of us, because of the, the uh, storage solutions that we're using, a lot of companies are going to Thunderbolt 3. You know, I have a question that's completely off the wall. How do you go from a piece of hardware... That is Thunderbolt 3 with no option to daisy chain it. How do you downgrade it to Thunderbolt 2 or to another version that will run on an older version of Thunderbolt? I have that problem. I have a couple of things that are new that I absolutely love, and they're SSD drives, and they're enclosed, uh, and they have a Thunderbolt 3 connection. That's a, a male Thunderbolt 3. I have not been able to find a female Thunderbolt 3 to male Thunderbolt 2. Is this totally... Um, there should just be Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt 2 adapters. Yeah, but and yeah, they call them Female on one end, male no, on the other. No, they're like, uh-uh. They are, I have them, but they go, they're made to upgrade from 2 to 3, but I cannot find a cable that will downgrade from 3 to 2. Uh, using a mail, you know, if I have a, anyway, think about that because I will call you again in about a week and maybe you'll have the answer. And if you could, if you could find the answer for that, you will be our hero because there's several of us looking for this. We can't find them. Yeah, I I can ask our uh, our service staff probably be more knowledgeable about that than me because, I mean, they have to deal with that. Yeah, and they say, well, go to Apple and just buy their Thunderbolt 3 to Thunderbolt 2. Well, but they're not understanding that what I have is I have a male Thunderbolt 3 that I need to connect to a female Thunderbolt 3 with an external, with a, a male Thunderbolt 2 on the other end. Hmm. So I'm going downhill, not uphill. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it exists. It should, because the, one of the nice things with Thunderbolt as far as like storage goes is uh, it's actually pretty direct to the, uh, what what's called is the PCIe lanes on the right. motherboard. Right. It's like what your video card actually attaches through. It's actually using that same interface just externally. So it shouldn't have any problems downgrading. So it should just be a matter of finding the exact right adapter. Yeah, I don't know that people are making these cables because they just assume that once you go up, you're just going to stay there. But, you know, I have a lot of older equipment that 
I have RAIDs that have a lot of, uh, you know, 24 terabyte RAIDs that have information and media on them that I need and I can't run them. That's a very selfish question, but I'm the host, so you can indulge (laughs) me, right? But it's a valid question. I mean, we get a lot of questions about Thunderbolt and, you know, those kind of things are honestly why we are here. Like the computers we sell is the physical product. And like we put a lot of work into making sure it's exactly the right thing. It's Mm -hmm. stable and it's going to be reliable. But a lot of the value of a company like us is the fact that we are here to help you with those things. Mm -hmm. You know, we're here to help you figure out what Thunderbolt adapter you should be using. Uh, We're here if Premiere keeps crashing and you've gone to Adobe support and haven't gotten an answer. Well, I mean, we're here too. Like we want to actually, our end goal is to let you get your work done and however that has to happen. So for people listening in who may not know, what is the difference between a CPU and a GPU? Probably the best way to describe it is to go back in time a little bit. So 5, 10, 15 years or so ago, we had we still had CPUs and GPUs, and they were very specific what they did. The CPU does all like the number crunching. So pretty much anything, like you were going to transcode a file in Premiere Pro or add an effect, that's using the CPU to actually do all the calculations uh, behind the scenes to actually render those effects. And the GPU, all it did was it took that information and it drew it onto your monitor. So mm-hmm. that's, that's all it did. So the CPU did the number crunching, GPU drew things onto your screen. Mm-hmm. And as we've uh, advanced, the GPU has actually taken on more and more uh, things. Uh, so it started off a lot of times in like gaming. So there was a lot of like physics calculations that you know needs to figure out how destruction works. And that was really good on the GPU. And so it started moving more and more things over to the GPU. And now we're starting to see that on the professional side as well. So, um, and it just comes down to how they work. CPUs have a small number of cores, but they're fairly beefy cores. So Mm -hmm. you can kind of think of those as like sports cars. So they are really, really fast, but you can't really move a lot at the same time. So like you mentioned, you're moving right now. If, If you move using only sports cars, it would take you a long time because uh, mm-hmm. you'd have to be taking a ton of trips. But it doesn't matter that that car can go 100 miles an hour. Right. Uh, GPUs, on the other hand, they have a huge number of cores, thousands and thousands of cores. But each one of those cores is a little bit slow. And so you can kind of think of those kind of like a semi-truck so it's, or a you know, tractor and trailer. Mm-hmm. So they are not as fast to like get down the road, but you can pile tons and tons of furniture and packages and dishes and everything into them. So you only have to take one trip. And so it comes down to what are the kind of calculations that the computer is having to do, you know, whether it's best to be done on the CPU, you know, really fast versus the GPU, tons of storage or or tons of cargo, I guess I should say. And we're, they're starting to find out that, Hey man, there's a lot of things that are really, really good on the GPU. So Adobe, uh, Blackmagic, all of these guys are starting to tailor a lot of their software over to the GPU. And that's why we're seeing things being offloaded from what was traditionally done on the processor, the CPU, are now being offloaded onto the GPU. Hmm. So it, it's it's really not a, you need a ton of one or the other. It's starting to be a balance between the two. Kind of like a minestrone soup, isn't it? Yeah. You know, what about the Blackmagic cameras? If you're shooting Blackmagic RAW, what would you, what would you consider putting into a system that was... Uh, primarily shooting with Blackmagic cameras? So uh, of most codecs, the only one that's really different, uh, honestly, in terms of like what hardware is best is RED. And that's just because mm-hmm. it's using the GPU for the debayering. Okay. 
Uh, everything else, it's really just the beefier the CPU, the better the playback performance and the transcode or then the exporting is going to be. Uh, there is a point though where a higher end CPU isn't going to give you any better playback performance. And it's actually fairly low. Uh, it's around mid-level of the Intel X series or upper end of the Ryzen series from AMD, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. are about the same price points, actually. Uh, about that level, you're actually not going to get any better in terms of like live playback in most cases. So at that point, a beefier CPU is just getting you better export times, which for some people, they don't mm-hmm. care. I mean, if they're going to be editing a you know, 10, 15-minute video for YouTube, like, hey, who cares if it takes right. five minutes instead of four? But if you're doing like Netflix and you're trying to export, you know, these two hour long feature films, well, yeah, a little bit faster export time that that adds up. It might be fast enough that it'll finish the export before you leave for the day so you can check it over and maybe do a second export and let it run overnight. Yeah, uh, it does make a difference when you're doing long form. It really does. I have a question for you about the drives. I love SSD drives because they're so fast. They're very expensive, but I think they're worth it because they are so fast. But what I get scared of with them, and tell me if I'm wrong, when an SSD drive crashes, it's very difficult to recover the information, if not impossible to recover the information on it. You know, the old spinners had their problems too. You were mentioning SSDs and how much you like them. What are, what's the reasoning for that? From, from somebody who builds these systems, why would you encourage SSDs? Sure. Um, so there's a couple of different reasons. I mean, you touched on performance, and that's a huge thing. I mean, a lot of it is not even like the, the copy performance, so like the copying a file onto the drive. Uh, SSDs are still much faster, but it's about the, the snappiness of it. Um, mm-hmm. Traditional hard drives, there's a spinning disk, and then there's like an arm that moves around, and it actually has to physically move to get to your data, and that takes time. So SSDs are just faster right. all around because of that. Um, but it's actually the other reason we really highly push on it is so SSDs are actually more reliable. Uh, so we do a huge amount of tracking in- internally of like every time we sell a part, we track it. And then if it we have to RMA, it, send it back for repair or fixing uh, or it fails in any way, we track that as well. And one of our articles, I'm trying to figure out when this was, is in August. So not even that long ago, we did a whole analysis of, hey, what's our failure rates on different parts? And SSDs were absolutely amazing. They are the least failing part in our computers, specifically Samsung SSDs. Mm. We, we are really married to Samsung right now because they are so amazing. Uh, I know there's a bunch of other brands. A lot of them are probably just as good as Samsung. But when we've only had like one or two fail in the last couple of years, it's really hard for us to try anything else because you can't get much better than you know a crazy, insanely low failure rate. Uh, I'm trying to find, oh, here we go. Mm -hmm. So the the failure rate was 0.26%. So one in every, what is that, 400? My percentage is right. Mm. Something like that. One in every 400 had any sort of problem over the last three years. Uh, Conversely, hard drives, Mm. they were almost at 1%, so one in 100. And so that's one of the big reasons why we push uh, SSDs, and specifically Samsung SSDs, is because they're just less likely to have problems. and I, I do want to qualify that a little bit. That that is like in a workstation, and, and workstation life or life uh, span is usually three to five years. Uh, if you're talking about like archiving right. footage or archiving projects, platter drives are better for that. Um, as long as you get yeah. specific drives yeah. that are 
designed for that. They have ones that are designed for cold storage or archival, uh, things like that. And in those right. cases, yeah, you wouldn't want to go platter. Yeah, we well, just have to spin them every once in a while, too, or they get stuck. <laughs> yeah, well, SSDs also, too, technically, they, they will lose the data if they don't get powered on. I don't know how often it is. It's like once every five years or something like that. Don't don't hold me on that. But it, it's some amount of time. This this whole idea of performance in production and post production, and then the your near attached storage and your networking, and then going to your permanent archiving and storage. It's a problem for all of us because. You know, I keep talking about how our media has grown like kudzu over the mm-hmm. last few years. It's really it's really a problem. A lot of people are moving back and forth, Mac to PC, PC to Mac. You handle primarily PC. So what advice would you give to somebody that's been on a Mac up to now? And because of what they're going to be doing, they think the PC might work better for them. What do you tell them uh, to prepare in order to make this transition of their, their workflow? Yeah. So we actually do that a lot uh, because, I mean, like you said, there's a lot of people jumping between one and the other. I mean, a lot of the people we deal with in post-production, it isn't a one or the other. They are not on a pure Mac uh, platform anymore. They're not on pure PC. So it really is bouncing. And that bouncing can be tough. Um, But I would say that the the number one thing that we hear the most complaints about is actually just keyboard shortcuts. Uh, It's such a simple thing, but I mean, really good editors use keyboard shortcuts constantly. And it's just a little bit different on Mac and PC. I mean, Mac, you've got the control option and command keys. On Windows, it's usually directed as control, Windows, alt. And it's just training yourself to be slightly different, even just like copying files around. I mean, instead of command C, command V, you know, copy and paste, now it's control C and control V. And that's moving, you know, instead of using your thumb to press command, now you're using your pinky to press control. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, really just awkward for a long Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And I I tell people usually like you can use a Mac keyboard on PC and download some programs that like remap the keys. So it's kind of the same. Uh, But usually I just tell people just it's, it's annoying. But just deal with it for about a week and you'll find that your muscle memory takes over really quickly. And then it's really not that bad to jump between those two. Uh, So that's really Hmm. honestly the number one thing that we hear the most complaints about uh, because once you get into Premiere or After Effects, the application is the same. Like it's the same look, it's the same effects, it's the same workflow. Uh, so really, the only thing that's different once you're in there is those keyboard shortcuts. Uh, the other thing that's uh, always a big concern is storage. Uh, we talked about Thunderbolt earlier, and uh, but the, the actual connection is only part of it because you have on Mac they're formatted for Mac. So I think it's HFS Plus, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Uh, so they're formatted for Mac and PC can't read those drives. And at the same time, what you usually use for on PC side is called NTFS and Mac can read that, but it can't write to that drive. Uh, so you have this problem a lot of times with external drives where you've got to move data between computers, but neither of them talk to each other. Uh, and for that, there's a couple of different solutions we recommend to people. Uh, one is there are applications that you can purchase for pretty inexpensive like 20 bucks or something. One of them is called Paragon and mm-hmm. it lets PCs read Mac formatted drives. It lets Mac read PC formatted drives. Uh, the one caution we always give with those is those are not perfect. Uh, so they are great for if you just want to like copy a file, they're terrific for that. I don't think I would ever recommend someone actually working off of an external drive that is going through that extra layer from Paragon or one of the other applications. 
Uh, and that's just because it seems like every once in a while, the drive will just drop for a split second. And that causes, you know, Premiere to throw a bunch of media offline errors. And then you've got to relink media and all that. And it's not usually the best uh, experience for that. Uh, the best thing we always tell people for storage is actually to start moving away from external drives and move to network attached storage. Uh, there's tons of different brands out there. We've been doing a lot recently with uh, LumaForge. They make the jellyfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, you don't have any of those cross-platform issues. You can read it on one computer, whether it's Mac or PC, and it all just works. Uh, it's definitely a lot higher cost to entry. So it's really hard for either small studios or individuals to make that move. Uh, but if you really need it and you need it to be up and reliable, that's usually we tell people try to start thinking about when could you make that move over to network attached storage from mm-hmm. Thunderbolt or other external devices. You know, people get so attached to their workstation, whether it's PC or Mac, it is a different language and you get used to it and you get comfortable and you get fast and you don't have to worry about some of these details. Yeah, the thought of switching for me. I mean, I do have people ask me, can you come, can you help me fix this? And I say, what platform are you on? If they tell me PC, I say, well, maybe had you asked me 15 years ago, I would have been able to help you, but forget it now. I don't speak PC anymore. That's one of the reasons why we feel that all these benchmarks and stuff that we do is so important because if you are on Mac and you're looking at, you know, a PC and you look at it and it's only going to be 5% faster, well, then no, that's not worth the hassle of learning a, you know, a new way of, you know, slightly new way of working and, you know, those keyboard shortcuts and all that, like 5% is not worth that. If you look at it and, oh, hey, I could get, you know, for my budget, I could get 20, 30% more performance. Ooh, then it comes down to, okay, is it worth a little bit of effort on my part to figure all that stuff out? Mm-hmm in order to get that higher performance or am I going to be more productive without that performance, but sticking on a platform I know Mm -hmm. and I'm familiar with. Mm. So what kind of clients do you work with now? Can you give us an example of some of the systems that you've built recently and the the companies that you work with? Sure. Yes. Some of them. I I mean, it's always, you always got to be careful of uh, who we're working with and who our customers are, you know, know, really big on keeping, you know, information private that people want private. Um, but we, we do a full range. Like we work with individual like YouTubers or people that are just editing home movies. Uh, mm-hmm. like we're, we go down to that level. Uh, we go up to large studios. Um, a, a lot of really interesting ones, uh, that aren't even in the post-production fields. Uh, one of the ones I always love talking about the most is a company called MedX and they're a contractor for NASA that do astronaut training in VR. So they train the astronauts in VR on our systems. And like, that's an amazing, like really cool thing that they're doing. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's not really post-production, but it's, but it's really, really cool. Uh, but yeah, we, we do a lot of work with, um, especially YouTubers actually seem to be a lot of fun for us to work with, even on like the marketing side. And that's because they are just, they're always doing something interesting. So uh, there's mm-hmm. a couple that we've done a lot of work with recently. Uh, Quarter Digital is one. They do a lot of YouTube VFX stuff. Uh, but then just other interesting ones like Smarter Every Day. Um, it's just a YouTube channel, and he just tries to learn. Uh, and it's, just, it's basically his mission of learning new things. And it was, you know, so we get to work with him. Uh, but we do have a whole section on our website under that publications tab that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. that is uh, like case studies. So like um, SF Film, uh, San Francisco Film House uh, is one we've worked with recently and they do um, like education uh, work and like 
those people are a lot of fun for us to work with. But yeah, a lot of the bigger ones, we can't really talk about (laughs) too much because they they want to keep things private. (laughs) I can't blame them for that, you know. Is there anything I haven't asked you in terms of some of the most recent changes in technology that you've had to deal with? Uh, The biggest thing right now is just that, yeah, there's a huge shakeup on the CPU side with uh, the stuff that AMD has launched. Uh, mm-hmm. The one thing I will say is, I mean, it is the holiday season right now. And so you might be looking for, you know, purchasing a system. Um, you might actually want to almost give a rain check or an IOU on those kind of things uh, because of all of these things that just launched. Usually the first like month or so after a major launch like this is a little rocky. And it's just right. because, I mean, it's just like major versions of Premiere Pro updates or anything. Uh, there's just always bugs to work out. And so I would say like, if you can hold off just a little little bit, you know, a few weeks or maybe wait until January quarter one, uh, that is probably a good idea. Just, Mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you can't wait because you've got a budget, you got to use up in quarter four, I mean, go for it, obviously better Mm -hmm. to use it than lose it. Uh, but yeah, otherwise you might want to wait just a little bit and, you know, we can, you can always talk with our consultants. Uh, they can help out, you know, exactly what you actually need for all those different things, whether you should wait or if it's fine, you know, what you need is fine and just go for it now. That's funny. You know, I, I get really impatient when I decide I want to get something and oh, I do too. <laughs> uh, gear, it, it kills you, doesn't it? I mean, how many, okay, I'm curious if I went into your garage or your equipment room today, you personally, not, not the company, but you, Matt Bach, personally, how many old computers do you have in there? Oh, actually, not that many, to do be honest. Do you get rid of them? Uh, See, I, I, can't, I keep them. I can't get rid of them. They're like old friends. Uh, no. <laughs> no, we, we do a lot of like recycling of old computers or donating to different charities or whatever. So, yeah, oftentimes, well, the time I get to that point, it's I bring it in and it gets either recycled yeah, or donated or whatever. Because, yeah, I used to be really bad about keeping old stuff. And then I realized, man, I haven't used this. And now it's so slow compared to like my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I've started, I've started being better about uh, getting rid of those. It probably helped that I moved about four years ago and had to deal with all of those. So now it's, uh, I don't want to deal with that again next time I move. Well, I'm dealing with it right now because I'm in the middle of a move. So <laughs> I'm dealing with it, but I look at them and I think, oh, should I get rid of this? And I just can't do it. Isn't that terrible? And I don't think I'm a string saver. I don't know. Well, this has been awesome. It's really nice to talk to you. I would like you, and this is maybe a silly question, but this is radio, so we can't see anything. But when you're thinking about putting together a computer, can you take us on the roadmap of what goes into making a computer? You know, if you're putting all the pieces together, what goes in there? Just for people who may not know. Sure. Well, the the entire roadmap of how we operate as a as a company, honestly, it starts with the work that I, I personally do in our labs department, and that's all of the testing that we talk about, all the benchmarks, and we do that to figure out, okay, there's hundreds of CPUs out there, which ones are the right ones for different workflows, mm-hmm. uh, and then we take those and we put those into what we call our solutions, and those are our workstations for individual software packages. Um, and that's where like, it really starts to hit a lot of the public side. Uh, and at that point, so if you were actually looking for a computer, you would go there. Oftentimes, people do actually configure computers. But a lot of the time, we just have a contact us form on there. And those are being used so much because mm-hmm. like, there's no way we could have anything on the site that actually covers everybody's workflow because everybody's slightly different. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's when you would be talking with one of our consultants. And they would really dr- drill down into 
what applications are you using? What codecs are you using? What mm. do you hope to use in the future? Like, mm-hmm. are you just editing HD now, but in two years, you want to be editing 4K or 8K? So there's a lot of back and forth with our consultants and our clients of what do you actually need for what you're doing? Uh, and then at that point, once someone actually pulls the trigger and purchases the system, uh, it's about, a I think it's now a seven to 10 day build time. So we get all the parts in if we don't already have them in stock. Our production department does a huge amount of work, um, you know, doing the actual assembling of all the parts. They do a lot of testing to make sure all of those parts are stable and working as you know they're supposed to. And we catch a lot of small things. Like it could be anything. Like we we look for any sort of defect. It could be a physical blemish, like just mm-hmm. a scratch on it. Where it's like, no, if someone's spending five or ten thousand dollars, they they shouldn't have a scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's an actual like it's not giving as good performance as we expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a lot of work that goes into that to make sure that when you actually receive the system, it is going to be as perfect as can be considering that UPS or FedEx is probably going to be rolling it off the back of their truck. Um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. so it's all of that work. Um, there's a lot of communication that goes on during that entire process. It's not a black box. You'll actually be getting like emails and updates of who did what and when, what they did. Um, and a lot of the actual service that we provide to our customers is actually after you even get the computer. I mean, you get the computer, you set it up, you get working. Uh, but what do you do when there's a slight problem? I mean, sometimes it's an actual hardware problem. Sometimes it's Microsoft, you know, Windows. Sometimes it's Adobe. And we really want to be essentially your first port of contact on any issue. It doesn't matter if it's about our computer or not, because we can loop in, you know, our Adobe support contacts or our support contacts with other companies mm-hmm. and get you either a workaround, you know, found to get you back up and running or get an actual fix rolled in, um, you know, whether it's a replacement part or a software update or driver update or whatever to get you back up and running as fast as possible. That's awesome. You know, we didn't even touch on motherboards. I'm probably going to wear you out here. (laughs) No, it's fine. I got time. (laughs) What about motherboards? What do you look for? I guess it's there again. It's putting the patchwork quilt together, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Motherboards, my general recommendation for people that are kind of building their own because i mean honestly if you're buying a, a pre-built computer from us or dell or hp or i mean apple honestly is you're not going to have to make that decision on the board like they, they most companies are not going to give you a huge amount of choice because there is more motherboards out there than there are cpus uh so i think a lot of the time it just comes down to what the features are you need i mean there are some things like you know if you want an intel 9900k cpu you need to have a motherboard that's going to support it. So some things are just obvious like that. Uh, but oftentimes, like when we're personally looking for different boards, it's things like, well, does it have Wi-Fi built in? Because built-in Wi-Fi is always going to be better than an add-on card. Uh, or does it have Thunderbolt? How many USB ports does it have? Uh, does the layout for the like PCIe slot, so like how do you put in video cards or like a video monitoring card, is that appropriate for what you're going to be buying? Because if you're like editing in DaVinci Resolve and you want to put in three video cards, not every motherboard is going to be able to accept that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of it comes down to those kind of things. And we have the hard duty for our own systems of we don't want to carry a whole bunch of motherboards. We want to have like one per platform. So we have to find that you know perfect motherboard, which there are not very many perfect motherboards. Uh, but one of the things I would advise against is going cheap on your motherboard. Uh, there are some pretty darn inexpensive boards, and some of them are, are decent, but your motherboard is what connects absolutely everything in your computer. It's one of the most complicated parts that's going in your board. And actually, from our failure rates, 
uh, that I was talking about earlier, it's, I think, the highest failing part. So one in 20 motherboards we have to replace or RMA uh, during our production process. And so you can imagine the quality difference between like a $50 motherboard and a $200 one. Mm-hmm. And I usually tell people somewhere around $150 is about as bare minimum as I would ever go personally in my own computer. Yeah, that's actually why I asked you that question, because that's sometimes the first thing to go, isn't it? Yeah, yep. yeah by far. It's about a factor of two on the next The next highest failing parts in a computer is going to be your power supply or a video card. Well, I sure would love to be a fly on the wall over there while you're putting these systems together. It's fascinating. It really is just fascinating. You have to be so proud of what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've been here a long time and I've helped build the company into what it is. And the fact that our company, our whole goal is to help our our customers and really the community at large. That's why we put our benchmarks out there for free. Um, It's just really nice. And just knowing that that philosophy behind a company is going to become a successful company, company rather than trying to you know, get a couple extra hundred bucks here and there from a customer that who ends up being unhappy. Right. I mean, we're really big on repeat business for us. That's, you know, most of our business is repeats, people coming back right. or word of mouth. Yeah. I know that about you guys. It's true. I have heard that. So are you getting ready for the holidays? Are you going to take time off or are you just going to keep building computers? Oh, I'm actually very lucky. I've got a decent amount of paid time off that I haven't used this year. So I'm, I'm actually going to be taking off, I think, starting next week through the end of the year. So. Oh, that's awesome. I'm very fortunate that I get to do that. That's awesome. Well, I, th- I really appreciate your time. I've kept you on for a long time. I could talk to you forever. This is really interesting. And thanks for helping everyone. And honestly, I, I, I really think if you're going to build your own system, talk to Puget first, because I have a feeling that you guys could do it just as effectively in terms of the budget and uh, much more effectively in terms of the processing and the reliability. So thank you so much. And where do where do you want people to go to learn more about uh Puget Systems. Yeah, so it's just PugetSystems.com, P-U-G-E-T Systems.com. That's got our website. There's tons of resources on there that you can look around at. This is awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. I've been talking with Matt Bach, Senior Labs Technician at Puget Systems, and he's been going under the hood on how these computers are built and what different parts and different systems you can use to make your system work the best. Um, Thank you so much. Happy holidays, everybody. And you know what I tell you, get up off your chair and go do something wonderful today. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. 